You can either jump in on your literal book there, your Bible. You can look at it on screen. Or you can just kind of listen where you are. I want to give a special welcome to our friends and family at home today. Whether by choice or uh, whether by just not choice and weather, literally weather, uh, staying home today. Uh, we are happy to have you with us. Let's jump into John chapter 4 and just carry the spirit from worship into today's teaching. Another act of worship for us. It says, so Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, let me hear you say Capernaum. There was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. Notice the shift in tone. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke. Now pause real quick. That, that's a sermon right there. I don't know if you realize that or not. Just those words. The man believed the words that Jesus spoke. Man, if we could just this morning just believe what Jesus has said about us. Amen? See, some of you, some of you guys, I don't know why, it's second service. You should be alive. Like, you, you risked death getting to church today. Okay? Uh, some of us, if we would just believe what Jesus says about us, it would not just change our disposition, it would change our way of life. It would, it would change the way that we think, it would change the way that we parent, the way that we spouse, the way that we husband, you know, fill in the blank. It would change everything. One of the hardest things in this life is, is, is to actually just believe what Jesus says about us. And here we see this man believing what Jesus said. He goes on to say this. Verse 51, as he was going down this man, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour to uh, the hour when, the, when he began getting better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him. Look at this. How cool is this? Verse 53, the father then knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we open up your word, as we open up this text, I pray that your, that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way among us, that we would not leave here the same, that we would be different. God, that we would lean in with both emotion and intellect, that we would engage our soul, our core, but Lord, that we'd also engage our minds today. And Lord, that you would work to change and form both to more of a pattern and mind of Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. And we all said, come on, second service. We all said, all right. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be with you today. It took me over an hour to get to church this morning. Um, I live out in the country. And when you live out in the country, you may not go anywhere when it snows, just so you know. And so I, I was in my minivan just driving all over the place this morning with my son Noah. Uh, glad to be with you. By the way, if you are joining us online, I always want to say this. Uh, I know many of you do join us online. There's lots. There's a whole community. Um, your family, and uh, we love you, and we miss you. We're glad that you're with us. Make sure to put where you're watching in the chat. Um, I think that just live stream and, and church online is something that's, that's going to stay around for a long time as a church. So 
We're going to embrace that as a church and make sure that, that we can love our community well. And if you're joining us online, I still want to encourage you to jump in through the week, if possible, to a small group. Uh, how many of us are in a small group? How many of us are checking out small groups? Yeah, we have a really high percentage of people in small groups, and that's great uh, because that's just the start for us as a church. And so I want to encourage you to jump in. Uh, start off with a question today. This is going to be a question that's going to carry on through your small groups. And here it is. It's a challenging question, but it's a question I must ask nonetheless. You ready? Let me hear you say, we're ready. Okay, I got to get more. I got to get more. I'm a little amped today, okay? I've had a couple cups of coffee. I'm going to need you to get on my level. Let me hear you say, I'm ready. There we go. It's better. Here's the question. You ready? Here we go. Do you follow Jesus because of what he can do for you, or do you follow Jesus because of what he has done for you? Let me say that again. Do we follow Jesus? Do I follow Jesus? Do you follow Jesus because of what he can do for you? Or do you follow Christ because of what he has done for us? Now, at the core, this is a question that revolves around belief and faith. Uh, Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you call yourself a Christian? And and by the way, I understand that I am opening up a really deep can of of, uh, theological worms here, okay? Because there's a question inside that question and then other questions where entire strands of theology and apologetics and denominations are built. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take all that baggage and luggage and put it over here. And I'm asking you purely from a human perspective, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Now, if you, if you ask people, you might get a lot of answers, right? In fact, if you just walk up to some rando on the street and say, hey, why do you follow Jesus? They might look at you and be like, hey, stop talking to me. That might be the first response you get. The second response you might get, this is very often you get this, um, well, I pray to pray at a church, and I don't want to go to hell. Oh, okay. You follow Jesus. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go to hell, so I, just, I like prayed his prayer my friend told me about. Okay? Uh, maybe other people say they follow Jesus because they, they believe that Jesus is going to get them a better life. Maybe he's going to bring them the girl of their dreams. Maybe he's going to make them wealthy. Maybe he's going to guard their health. And they, they think, they say like, well, I'm going to follow Jesus because he's going to give me all these things. He promises a better life. Okay? Maybe you follow Jesus because you recognize him as a, as a spiritual guru. You know, he's just a, a spiritual force. He's kind of like the Yoda of his day. You know what I mean? He's just like this guru, and he taught good things. Good teacher, good man. Maybe you believe Jesus is God. Maybe you recognize the sacrifice that he's made. Maybe you see the teachings of Jesus as just a better way of doing life. The fact is, depending on who you ask and and what season of life you ask them, you're going to get different reasonings behind why people follow Jesus. But I want to reiterate, at its core, this is a question between belief and faith. And you should know the Bible speaks of different types of faith. Did you know that? It speaks of different types of faith. If you were to venture into the Old Testament, you would see a faith like Moses, a, a strong faith that, that parts the waters, or maybe a, a, a faith like Daniel that allows him to be stu- uh, kept into, in a lion's den, and, and he's going to pray through the night. But you get into the New Testament, you start to see these different types of faith. You see the faith that Jesus calls his disciples to. He says it's the faith of a mustard seed, and if you have that much faith, it'll move a, a mountain. Or a different type of faith would be the faith that Peter exercised when he stepped outside the boat and walked on water. 
Classically, the faith of, of Paul we see in them. Paul talks about this faith, having a faith that's given to us by God through the grace of Jesus Christ to save us. There's all these different types of faith. Today, because I want to stay in the context of John 4, we're going to examine three different types of faith. And it's not just types of faith, it's a progression of faith. Hopefully that'll make sense in a moment. But the first one I want to point out is this. Number one, write this down, would you? Write down desperate faith. Desperate faith. And desperate faith is what we see right here exhibited in John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. Look at this. It says, there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus is in full-on teaching mode right now. And so this man asks him, hey, come heal my son. And Jesus kind of just, you know, just teaching, he says this, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And look at the persistence of the man in verse 49. Then the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So you've you got to get down here, Jesus. My child is going to die. See, one thing we can all relate to, if we're honest, is a faith forged out of desperation. You ever been there? You're like, no, I've never been there. Get ready. You are on your way. <laughs> you are either on your way into a newer faith forged by desperation, or you are on your way out of, or you are in the middle of. The fact of the matter is we live in a broken, decaying, beat-up, depraved world and as a result of that, we are going to experience trauma, pain, hurt, injustice. You are going to walk through that. And many of you have. Many of us have. And what this does is it can create a desperate situation or a desperate type of faith. I'm not trying to be the harbinger of bad news here. I'm just letting you know that we live in a broken world, and because of brokenness, we are going to be touched by that somewhere in our life. Amen? Yes? Yes. And it's difficult, and it's, it's hard. In fact, this is where this, this man is. You hear the, the sound of desperation in his voice, don't you? Sir, please. My son's going to die. Please, please, unless you see signs and wonders. I know Jesus, but Jesus, please, my son's going to die. There's nothing more desperate than a parent losing a child. God forbid that you've been through a situation where you have lost a child. Or maybe you've been through a situation where you, you're, you felt out of control in protecting one of your children. I know one of the scariest moments in my life, my wife and I's life, is you know, our, our, one of our youngest boys, Moses. He, he's, has, he's had asthma ever since he was born, underdeveloped lungs. Now he's getting strong. We've got him you know, bench pressing and everything. And, you know, at age seven, he's doing, putting up 250, not too bad. And uh, that was a joke. And, um, but, but when he was first born, it was a little scary, you know. We had him on the nebulizer. We had him breathing. We're getting him, you know, adjusted. We're having all the you know, proper things that we need to do to make sure he can breathe correctly. We've got the filters and everything. And, and, and we had him sleep in our room for a number of years because we were just very nervous about his breathing. And I remember one evening waking up at night and, and not really hearing him. And I got up and walked over and turned on the light. And there he was laying in his crib and he was blue. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that as a parent where you just... You don't know what to do. And he just picked him up, and he wasn't really breathing very well at all. And, you know, and I didn't know what to do. And I ran down to the car, and we jumped, jumped into the car in the middle of the night and drove to the ER, and, and it was a very scary time. 
that'll bring you to a place of desperation really quick. Or maybe you've lost a spouse, or maybe you've lost a loved one. A place of desperation is not a place that we want to be. But i got to tell you, this is a type of faith. A desperate faith is categorically a type of faith. And it's the type of faith that this man was walking through. He is desperate for Jesus to do something. It's a type of faith that says, what do I have to lose? It's a type of faith that says, Jesus might do this. It's a type of faith where I can barely see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I know it's there. It's a desperate type of faith. Can I tell you something this morning? Jesus will oftentimes meet us in our desperation. Jesus often uses the desperation to bring us to him. We are at rock bottom. Oftentimes you'll speak to somebody who has been addicted for years or challenged for years, and they finally hit rock bottom, and they'll tell you, that's where I met Jesus. That's where I met Jesus. That's the first type of faith. Second type of faith demonstrated by this man. Look at this. John chapter 4, verse 50. It says this. John said to him, or Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, watch this now, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour, he asked them the hour that he, when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself, what's that word there? He believed. Now, Jesus heals this man's son. And on the journey home, one of his servants runs out and says, hey, your son is recovering. The fever's left him. The man said, okay, when did this happen? They told him, and the man put it together. That's exactly when Jesus said that my son would live. And the man believed. Now, this is interesting because if you look at verse 50, it says that the man believed the word that Jesus had spoke to him and went on his way. He believed there. But then in verse 53, after demonstration of Jesus' power, Scripture goes through and says again that he believed. Did the man not believe before? Yes, he did. But now he believed in a different way. Second type of faith is what I would classify as deep faith. Deep faith. Deep faith. This time around, with this news, this man is filled with a different type of belief, with a different type of faith. This man is now filled with a hope-realized faith. A hope-realized faith, faith, a deep faith, okay? This is a faith not based on what Jesus can do. Notice this now. This is really important for us, church. It's not a faith based on what Jesus can do. This is a faith based on what Jesus has done. This is a good faith. A deep faith is a good faith. A deep faith is the faith that says, my son was healed because of Jesus. A deep faith isn't a faith that we go into the hospital with. A deep faith is the faith that we come out of the hospital with. Amen? A deep faith is when we say, there's no way I could have done that apart from Jesus. It's a deep faith. It's a demonstrated work of God that produces a, a deep faith. This is the type of faith that takes root when God moves in a powerful way on our behalf. This is the what an amazing God we serve type of faith. Maybe you could call it a mountaintop faith. Now, here's the truth, which also presents a problem. People want to go from desperate faith to deep faith immediately. We don't like desperate faith. I mean, let's just be honest, because it usually comes with dire circumstances. 
It usually takes us to a place where we're like, I don't know what else to do, so i got to turn to Jesus. I'm in desperation. Emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for you, God, to move. Unless you do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. We want to go from desperate faith to deep faith instantaneously, don't we? And I understand that. There's nothing wrong with that desire. Like, I'm praying through things and for people right now in my life, some things I've been praying for years, and I'm in a desperate space over these families and over these people and over these situations. And I'm looking forward to the day when I can have a deep faith, uh, you know, situationally about these families and people and things that I'm praying through. I want the deep faith aspect of it. You understand that, right? The problem is desperate faith is here. Deep faith is here, but we forget about the faith in the middle. There is a faith that is forged in the middle. And I would say it is the purest form of faith. The purest form of faith is found in the gap. You ever found yourself in the gap? Come on, church. You ever found yourself in the middle? You ever found yourself not in a place of desperation, but not in the depth that you want, you are in the dips of life. It's not necessarily the valley, but it's definitely not the mountaintop, that's for sure. In the gap, in the middle, in the dip, if you will. Now, here's the challenging part. You ready for this? This is where you're going to spend most of your life. <laughs> you are going to live most of your life in the middle. Nothing's really bad. Nothing's crazy good. We have moments that are tough. We have moments that are great. But most of our life is going to be lived in the dips, in the gap, in the middle. And this is the place. Listen, don't, don't miss this now. Listen, this is the place where the most practical of faiths is formed. The most practical of all faith is formed in the middle. Because it's not a faith of desperation. It's not a faith of depth yet. But it is a faith. And this is the name of it. You ready? The third type of faith is a faith that I call obedient faith. Obedient faith. Look at this verse 50. Jesus said to this man, go, your son will live. And in the most amazing turn of events, look at what the man did. Look at this. And it says this. The man then believed the word that Jesus spoke and went his way. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? The man believed and he left. Obedient faith, active faith, it's not a faith based on what Jesus might do. Obedient faith is not a faith based on what Jesus has done. Obedient faith, listen now, is a faith based in what Jesus has said. It's not based on what he's done. It's not based on what he could do. Obedient faith, faith in the middle, faith in the gap, faith in the dip, is when we do what Jesus commands us to do. When we do what he commands us to do. Trusting to be true what Jesus has said. This man trusted Jesus when he said, go, your son is healed. Now, can I be honest with you? I don't want you to look at this through the lens of a Bible story. Because sometimes we, we have almost like a, like a fairy tale view of Scripture. I want you to know that there was a real man, a real Jesus, a real son who was about to die. And Jesus literally told a man, now your son's good, go home. And the man left and believed. That is an obedient faith. Now I ask you, would you have done the same thing? 
Because I can tell you what I would have done. If I'm like, if one of my sons is dying, I'm like, Jesus, I can't, there's nothing else I can do. Please, I need you to come to my house. My son's not breathing. He's going to die. And Jesus says, go, your son, will be, your son will live. I feel like, you know what I would do? I'd be like, uh, can you just come with me just in case? <laughs> it was a long way to get here. I don't know that I can run fast enough just in case you didn't. Could you just come with me? But this man doesn't do that. It says that he believed and he went away. Here's the challenge. This is the type of faith that Jesus is trying to develop in each and every one of us. And so I want to encourage you to do this thing, right? What the thing is is this. I want you to buy the dips. And he said, what, buy the dips? That's, that's strange. So my wife and I, we got, we got invested in a, in a new market, crypto. Anybody invested in crypto in here at all? Yeah, exactly. There's this phraseology that they'll, they'll say, buy the dips. See, you enter into the market, and then oftentimes a stable coin, a stock, or whatever, you, it, it, will, it will launch really high. And professionals, like great, great investors, they'll tell you, don't buy when it's at an all-time high. Don't buy in a bull market, right? It's running. You want to, let me hear you say, buy the dips. You want to? By the dips. Why? Because everybody else bought when it's at its peak. But now, because people are selling off, it dips way down. You know it's going to go back up, but for the moment, it's going down. Hopefully, you'll see what I'm trying to say here. Everybody else is trying to live for this moment. Everybody else is living for the all-time high. But we all know life is not consistently lived at an all-time high. We all know that life is mostly lived walking in the middle. So I want to encourage you, buy the dips. Buy the dips. When you find yourself not in a place of desperation, and you find yourself not in a mountaintop, and you wake up feeling like it's Bill Murray Groundhog Day, feed the kids, walk the dog, go to work, come home, watch the Browns lose, go to bed. Literally, if you feel like, or win, I'm sorry, okay, If you feel like it's on repeat, guess where you are? You're in the middle. You're in the middle. And Jesus is trying to build something in you right now because he wants to take you to a place of depth. He wants to take you to a deeper place. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, God will allow us to go through something very difficult so he can take us very deep. In fact, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, he says this, It is doubtful that God will use a man or woman greatly until he wounds them deeply. Now, you could look at that and be like, wow, great, we serve a sadistic God. What a sadistic God we serve. No, listen, that is not the case at all. Not the case at all. The matter is that deep faith can only be forged through the fires of desperation and obedience. I'm going to say that one more time because it's really good. It's really, really important for us to understand this. It's very very important. The truth is that deep faith can only be forged out of the fires of desperation and obedience. It's the obedience in the middle that produces the depth that we all desire. You can't go from here to there without going through the middle. You can't get from where you are to where you want to be without passing through the valley. And so oftentimes what we do is we stay immobile. Well, I don't want to take that step of faith. It's going to be hard. So what do you do? You never advance in your walk with Christ. You never lean in. 
You never take your one step because that one step will demand a sacrifice. That one step will demand suffering. That one step could bring about a change in your lifestyle. And because we don't want to do that, we don't move. And guess what? That's exactly where the enemy wants to keep you. If he can't keep you from knowing Christ, he will keep you from pursuing Christ. If he can't keep you from getting into the kingdom, he will keep you from building the kingdom. And i got to ask this question. We are way too deep in society now to stop building the kingdom. How in the world is it that we can have rooms and buildings and churches and campuses full of Christians and cities that remain unsaved? It's because we are unwilling to suffer. We are unwilling to sacrifice. I know I'm going hard, but hang with me. We're all buying the dips today, okay? We all have to be willing to walk through a faith forged by fire if we want to get to the depth that God has for us, each and every one of us. And so don't you walk up to me and say, Pastor, I'd like to go deeper. Okay. Do you serve? Oh, no, 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 no. I'd like to go deeper. No, that's how you go deeper. Pastor Travis, I'd like to go deeper. Well, we need some people in the nursery. Oh, no, 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 no. I'd like to do a thorough book study on Revelation. Okay. See, we misunderstand what depth is. Depth comes from obedience. Depth comes from relationship. You can't go from here to there without the middle. In fact, we're going to close with this. James, one of my favorite books of all time, he says this. Count it all joy. Let me hear you say joy. How many of us know that joy is a choice? I don't, I can't, I might not be able to choose happiness, but I can choose joy. In the middle of pain, I can choose joy. In the middle of my son not breathing, I can choose joy. In the middle of a divorce, I can choose joy. In the middle of singleness, I can choose joy. In the middle of bankruptcy and a job change and an economic crisis and a pandemic, how many of us know that we can still choose joy? Amen? I can still choose joy. And James says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that's not it. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's break this down. Number one, the testing of your faith. That's your life, your beliefs, the willingness to put your money where your mouth is, the testing of your faith. God gives you an opportunity to test that faith in you, and it will bring about a sense of desperation. But if you walk through that, understand, it will produce steadfastness in you. It will produce a faith that is not rooted in circumstance or situation. It will, it, it will put together a regardless faith. Regardless of my situation, I'm buying the dips. Regardless of the situation, I'm walking through. Regardless of my situation, my circumstance, I'm not stopping. And then lastly, that will produce something that brings out perfect and complete oneness with God. The testing of faith produces steadfastness, produces a perfect and complete understanding of walking rather with God. Think about Adam in the garden, walking with God. Think about our final days on this earth, moving into an eternity with Christ, a complete, perfect, triumphant faith. I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you could. I want to speak to you this morning. And ask you, where are you in this process? See, maybe right now you might say, Pastor, I'm in a place of desperation. 
Now, I may not look like it, but man, there's, I'm desperate. I need help. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe that's finances. Maybe that's mental. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's physical. I don't know. Maybe you're in the middle. Maybe you're like, man, things aren't bad, but things aren't like great. It's kind of in the middle. Maybe you're on a mountaintop. Maybe you just sold a home. Maybe you just flipped a house. Maybe you just had a baby. Maybe you just turned a corner and you walked with the Lord. You're at an all-time high. Wherever you are right now, I want to encourage you to lean into your stage. To lean into your stage and remember why you followed Jesus to begin with. See, because the one consistent thing through all the stages of life is Jesus. It's Jesus. And he is using every stage and every season and every issue and every circumstance to draw you closer to him in an attempt to get you to know him more and in an attempt to get you to understand his great love for you because the Father has loved us at great at in great measure and lavished his grace upon us. So this morning, today is, is not a beat down. No, no, no. Today is an encouragement to understand that whatever season or stage you are in, that Jesus is with you. But it's also a swift kick to your butt if you have been in a place where you know it's time for you to take a step and you haven't. Listen to me, friend. Why did you follow Jesus? I know it might feel desperate. I know it might feel challenging. You need to buy the dips. You need to lean in. You need to have faith. And you need to move forward. Take a moment right now if you could. Pray. Identify which stage you're in. And give that stage to God. Right now.